Hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of Conversation Peace with me, your host, Patrick Armstrong. This is going to be a show where I will be talking to my friends and other interesting people about whatever they have on their minds right now, from a whole host of adoption-related topics to ruminating on the future and everything that falls in between there. Today, when you're listening to this or when it's being released, is October 1st. And in 11 days, I will be landing at the airport in Incheon, South Korea, for the very first time since I was adopted. I am returning on a trip through OKF, or the Overseas Korea Foundation. And as you will read in today's newsletter, is I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this entire thing. But suffice it to say, I decided to make this the first trip back because I'm honestly not sure the next time I'll have this opportunity. And I felt like the time was now to be able to take that. So that's what I wanted to talk about in this episode, going back to your birth country. And that is why I am speaking with my guest today. She was recently a ho- or a guest, a host, a guest on the John Chi Show. She also recently made her return to Korea. She is a fellow Korean adoptee and the mayor of Royersford Borough, New Jersey. The Honorable Jenna Antonowitz joins me today. Jenna, welcome to the show. Hi, Patrick. I'm really happy to be here. And it is Pennsylvania. Oh my not gosh, New I Jersey. Said New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I even looked it up and uh thought I wrote that down correctly. Oh well. That is okay. We're just making up cities. We're just making up cities. This is a great way to start this new show. Um, <laughs> keeping it light and breezy. Everyone okay. will always remember it's Pennsylvania now, though. So it's good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Jenna, um, for those of you who may have not heard your episode on our other podcast, I was wondering if you could give us a, just a quick intro uh, to who Jenna Antonowitz is. Yes, absolutely. I'm really honored to be your first guest. I think I would sum myself up pretty simply. I'm a full-time mom of two, a three and a six-year-old, and I'm a part-time foodie, full-time Korean-American adoptee, and I also am the first female mayor of almost 150 years to serve the borough of Royersford, Pennsylvania. So I do a lot of other things on the side, but that's me in a nutshell. Are you the first mayor in 150 years or the first in the 150-year existence of Royersford Borough? I'm the first female mayor of almost 150 (laughs) years of Royersford Borough. And I am going to venture to, I believe I am also the first non-Caucasian person. I'm going to go ahead and say that because I'm pretty sure that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, claim it. That's two boxes ticked off. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, as I mentioned before, we are here today to talk a little bit about returning to Korea specifically, but returning to your birth country as you have been able to do recently. Um, And so we got into it a little bit on the John Chi show, but I was wondering if you give us an overview of what prompted you to decide to go back to Korea to make that journey. Yes. To make a very long story short, um, I I had a lot of seed planting throughout my whole life. You know, I was able to go to the heritage camps as a child, um, really give a shout out to my parents for having the foresight to really try as much as they could in a predominantly white upbringing to introduce me to different cultural things as much as I was interested in, which honestly, which is a lot of cads say, wasn't a lot growing up, right? I, I, wasn't outright rejecting or feeling angry about anything necessarily, just a lot of passive, okay, understanding I was ethnically Korean, but 
seeing a lot of white faces on TV and around me and really identifying as such. Um, I even have some funny stories where I was with my best friend and filling out surveys and for straight up forgetting that I was Asian and checking the wrong box. You know, it's just such a strange thing to be raised by white folks when you are ethnically not white. So um, going throughout my childhood, my teenage years and being a young adult and, you know, connecting with a lot of Korean American adoptees and really trying to come into my own as other things, you know, a professional woman and then having my babies and fleetingly thinking about myself as a baby when you have your babies. And I hear a lot of adoptees say this, um, you know, and, and just having to have people point things out to me. I have a really good friend who um, is Korean American, whose son is a little bit older than mine, who had to point out to me, you know, your kid's going to look different. You might want to have that conversation with him. And still in this space of what do you mean he's going to look different? You know, so just having a lot of seeds planted for me until, of course, we hit the year. 2020, where everybody had this weird, let's call it an opportunity to sit with our thoughts and not be busy. And as somebody with high anxiety, I was, I've just been busy my whole life and really challenging myself to say, it's okay to not be busy. It's okay to sit and just have thoughts. You know, and who knows, 30 years from now, I might look back and think, that's why you kept yourself so busy. So you were not <laughs> thinking about all of the things, you know, and, you know, sure. I, I, I kind of say, oh, it was signs, but really it wasn't signs. I think it was just, I was ready to quote unquote, see all of the things. And so, you know, like you said, it was TV, timing and then op, like an opportunity, if we want to call the pandemic then, but specifically the, the meeting of those two things for sure. Absolutely. And so everything from hearing, uh, you know, a podcast person say, talk about their own life in relationship to how are we not exploring our own lives and if if we're trying to claim that we know ourselves, right? And so it was just little pieces of chance. You know, I was on all the Facebook groups for Korean American adoptees and scrolling through. And one day there was a post that just was right there. It said, I have a question about this form to get your records from Holt. And someone had put the link right there. And I was thinking to myself, I, I don't even have to go looking for this. I can just click on it. <laughs> it's like bookmarked it. It just little things like that would start happening. And it's just start, started to very slowly at first and then quickly propel myself into this space of, uh, I really realized I was going to have to be mindful. This is happening. I'm going to start this birth search. But at the time, that's not what I was thinking it was, you know, because when your records say unknown your whole life, that's just your narrative. And that's what you tell people. Well, it's unknown. There's no way I could ever find out anything. So for me, it was just like, let's just fill in the holes. Maybe Holt has some information I never had before. Maybe. Let's just do it. And at the same time, I have a girlfriend, a fellow CAD, who she and I were going to, you know, rallies and support uh, events for, you know, the Stop AAPI Hate in 2021. Mm -hmm. We're in the car together. And she says, hey, I'm going on this trip. It's a formal tour for adult Korean adoptees to introduce them to their heritage, their history, and help with the birth search. It's 10 days. It's something you don't have to think about once you get there. And I can barely find my way 20 minutes from my house. So I was like, great. I wouldn't have to know transportation. I wouldn't have to read a map. <laughs> we would have bilingual tour guides. Um, and plus, it was just a, it's just a very reputable known trip. It's called the Me and Korea Mosaic Tour. So. 
I got involved with, I just said yes and I applied for it. And then I just dove in. And at the same time, I happened to also have been getting information from Holt um, along the way. So that's how that's how it happened. And then once I found out information about my birth family from Holt, it just so happened I was already going to Korea. So <laughs> everything gelled together. Well, I really appreciate you giving us that recap. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about that birth search aspect and component of it. Um, what... What was going on concurrently as you were receiving that information? What information were you receiving? And then kind of what happened once you did get over there? Sure. Yeah, I, I will tell you, I don't know if anyone is the same way. I, I can imagine you have some type A people listening. But <laughs> I I actually sat on the link that I saw for a little bit of time because I was thinking, well, they're going to ask me all kinds of questions. Are you ready for this? You know, where's your... Oh, <laughs> Well, they didn't ask that, Patrick. They were like, what's your birthday? What are your parents, your adoptive parents' names? You know, just like very, very formality driven. <laughs> just <laughs> I was like, oh, that's all you wanted to know. You know, first they wanted to, Holt wanted to confirm that I was in fact adopted through them. Yes, I was. So that was not a big surprise. Then I filled out the paperwork. I have to fill out all these affidavits. Are you sure you want this information? Um, just to get your paperwork from Holt USA. International Children's Services. And then I got all the stuff that I already had, you know, but I was able to look at it a little bit more critically, um, just seeing that I was born in Mokpo. I had to actually have the leader of the trip tell me that because I didn't know that Mokpo was a thing. I just thought, you know, who knows? I didn't know Korea. I don't know Korean cities except for Seoul. So, <laughs> so in a lot of ways, it's going to sound crazy because I've obviously found a lot of information after that. But learning that I was born in a city that I did not realize I was born at two and a half hours by train south of where I thought I was born. That was the first thing that like really shook me, not in a bad way, just uh, this whole, my whole life I've been telling myself this and it's actually that it, it was really funny. So well, it's like after you, that, a page gets almost removed and replaced, you know, a page yeah. in your story. And it's like, what do I do with this? Exactly. Yeah. And so it sounds like a very small detail. You know, I was still born in Korea. It's not like I found out I was born in Indonesia or something, you know, but it was the first thing that really um, was something, a clue as to what was to come. So I waited a little while and I had a mentor on the trip. We were each assigned somebody to kind of help us think through and make sure we were prepared. And he all, he actually has also had a reunion with birth family. And he said to me, have you heard anything? I said, nah, not really expecting you. He's like, why don't you just ask again? You know, and I thought, well, okay. So I reached out again. And very shortly afterwards, I don't know if I just got to the bottom of the pile or what, but they said, oh yeah, sure. And they asked Holt Korea, which I didn't realize was a separate entity again. And in a very short amount of time later, like a week and a half, uh, I get this phone call. Um, it was the day after Valentine's Day, and it was this really vague message. A guy named Steve, he said, uh, hey, so I'm Steve from Post Adoption Services from Holt. Why don't you give me a call back? <laughs> Very vague. <laughs> and I, you know, my heart's racing. I had actually had the phone number of the former president of Holt, Susan Cox, and I'm texting her. I have no idea what time it was where she was, but like, Susan, what does this mean? Why would he be ta contacting me? It was a very long hour of putting my children to bed before I could get. <laughs> <laughs> and he just shared what I would later find out 
Holt Korea contacted the reception center in Mokpo where I was relinquished, which I knew that I knew it was the Mokpo reception center. But my original forms said that I was relinquished by the police, which led me to believe, oh, I, you know, I was probably found at a police station or something. Right. And that was a total lie. Um, It was actually my birth father who had relinquished me. He was 25. There was a whole history a whole history of how he and my birth mother met and that she left shortly after I was born. And, you know, he gave his name and his equivalency of a social security number. He left her name, all, all this information. Um, And, and I'm being told I'm sitting in my bedroom, you know, at nine o'clock at night in the winter, listening to this information, just having my brain explode. It was, it was like having it out. It was like hearing about somebody else, and it took me a while to really register that they were talking about me because it's something that you just not only had I not thought about the possibility, but you're my I'll just speak for myself my entire life. I did not think about my birth family even a little bit. I mean, I hear some adoptees say, oh, every birthday I think, oh, is my birth mother thinking about me? I just they just were not a thing. They were faceless at best. These floating images around the world that I just never gave another thought to because my record said unknown, period. And I was sort of raised to believe you see a government document or an official document, that's what it is. Um, so yeah, I, finding that and I had to go through the whole thing and set, you have to fill out more affidavits to say, yes, I, I, I kind of want to take the next step and write a letter. And I have Korean American friends who translated it for me and I sent pictures and that was an assignment trying to pick five to 10 pictures from your entire life. That's, that's an exercise. Sent those out. And then I waited, you know, not very long to get um, to, to see that they had found him. I mean, they found him immediately and he called immediately because they sort of send these vague letters like, Hey, somebody might be looking for you. And he knew immediately he called and said, this is about my daughter. I've been waiting to hear from her. And then he received my letter. He wrote back. He sent, you know, a couple of very like stoic ID pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's all done over email. And right. And so, and then that was it. And then he, I, as I talked about the John Chi show, he he called me. I wrote him a letter back. He called me on the phone one one morning. It was insane. Uh, we got to talk over the phone through a translator. A friend of mine helped me out. And then my sister, my half-sister found me on Cacao Talks. We chatted. So I was able to have these really kind of cool interactions leading up to this tour that I was already going on that was going to help me with a translator meet them for the first time. That's, I love that's that. it in a nutshell. Yes. That's absolutely amazing. And I think that I think that's something that I is really cool that you were able to connect and build at least the start of a foundation of a relationship with uh, with your half sister and with your father, your birth father, um, leading into that trip, uh, because I feel like it sets you up for potentially more success uh, in terms of how that interaction might go but i can only imagine that meeting actually in person is a much different thing than even communicating over like a cow talk or over message and email and things like that or even over phone like even talking even if it was a facetime so could you talk a little bit about what that initial meeting was if you if you feel uh comfortable sharing that yeah absolutely i had so much anxiety leading up to the trip itself i was literally to 
set the scene for you. I had a layover in Toronto for a very harrowing run to the gate to make my connecting flight. Ended up not being that. But as I tell the story from years from now, I was racing to get there. You know, made it just <laughs> we got in there time. With five minutes to get to the next gate. Yeah, we had to were, switch terminals. <laughs> exactly. They were closing the door. Like as I got through, you know, that's how I'm going to yeah. tell it. And as you should, <laughs> you know, 15 hours on the plane, which I honestly, when you're a mom of two young kids, it's a little like a vacation. It was pretty cool. I got to watch movies and sit by myself. And but you're still really nervous because co- we're in the era of COVID and I still had to get there. I still had to get a negative test. I still <laughs> had to figure out how to get from the airport to the hotel, which was Again, it's difficult for me to, you know, drive down the street in America. So taking public <laughs> transportation. Yeah, I'm a real country mouse, Patrick. So it was all this I stuff. So you. I'm finally sitting on the train that one of the tour guides on my trip was kind enough to take me and put me on the train. It's like, sit here, you know. Um, and I've got two and a half hours to sit and think, this is really happening. I have nothing else to prepare for. I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of preparation. I've listened to the John Chi show. Um, and and it's time, you know, I'm, I'm ready to do this. We got off the train. Um, a lady from Holt, actually Holt Korea was my translator, one of the social workers. So she found me on the train. We step off and she was kind of like giddy. You know, she's done a lot of these reunions. I get, she's like, oh, it's, it's coming. I was like, <laughs> something's coming. You know, you're right. not quite sure what's about to expect. happen. <laughs> get off, exactly. Get off the, get off the train. And we round a couple corners and I saw him immediately. And it's not just because I had his picture. Um, and there's this whole, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit darker skinned, which I didn't even know until probably a year ago that that was a thing. I just thought all Asians were a little bit more brown. Not true. Lots of Koreans are, you know, and that's actually the beauty standard, right? So I actually had a little bit of um, mock, you know, anxiety that he's going to see how dark I am. And he's, he's going to be like, oh, she's not beautiful. You know, I had sort of that thought. And he is a farmer. So he is mm. so dark. He's in the sun all the time. I met him in the summer. It was farming season. So I could just see his like dark complexion above his mask that he was wearing. And my sister actually saw me first. She kind of came out of nowhere and like gave me a huge hug. <laughs> I didn't like see it coming. I like saw him. I didn't see her. Suddenly I'm being hugged. And she was so sweet. She said in English to me, she's learning English, which is awesome. Um, she said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Um, which was just, it was a wonderful welcome. And then I saw him and actually the lady from Holt took a video, which I didn't know she was doing of us hugging. And there's this moment where he and I hug, we look at each other and we're both wearing masks, you know, and, and we just sort of nod at each other. There's just, uh, there's just, and then, then he, I didn't realize this at the time, but later he said something to his now wife, they've been together almost 20 years. And she said, I found out later you have the same eyes. And it was interesting because when I got his picture, I had half of my friends saying, you look just like him. And then I had the other half of my friends. Uh, interestingly, a lot of my Korean friends say, mm, I don't really see it. And I was interesting. Thinking, That's very interesting. Yeah. And I didn't really see it either. I, I sort of saw my kids in him, but I look like my kids. So it's interesting that I didn't see myself. But then we were able to be next to each other and get like selfies and and I said to a friend later, wow, you know, we have a very similar complexion. And he said, yeah, and you have the same face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
You have yeah. the same face. And we do, and we really do. You know, I t- they said you, know, you look you look like your appa. You have the personality of your ama, and you know it was just it was really lovely. And I think what's interesting for me personally, we joked. I joked with a friend. She's like, "Well, you'd really the real test would be someone like me who doesn't automatically like people meet birth family. Like I I automatically like you. If we meet on the streets, we're friends. <laughs> you know, I that's just how I am. I'm very comfortable with folks right away." And so um, it, it it was a really nice reunion. Uh, we had a, they gave me this beautiful meal that, of course, I was too nervous to eat because um, I was trying to listen and pay attention to my translator while I had her with me. And we kind of zipped around Mokpo, and uh, it was it was pretty pretty neat. And I knew I had seven days just because of the structure of the tour. I had seven days to get through to not get COVID to see them again. And it ended up being great. I never got COVID on the trip. I never tested positive and I was able to see them and have an overnight a little bit later. And then my sister came after the official tour was over. She came up to Seoul, um, took off work and we spent like a sister day together. So um, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. That is absolutely amazing. I think, I think it's, uh, as KJ would say, it's lovely. I think that's a lovely story because you hear all different kinds of things when it comes with reunions. Um, and I think what I really enjoyed, and I'm sure the video would confirm, but the knowing nods that you're giving each other after you embrace and meet for the first time, especially because, like you said, you know, you you were even one of the skeptical ones from the pictures. And then, like, when you saw you saw him in on the train station, mask on and everything, when kind of knew instantly and felt that connection. So I think that's just really lovely because, you know, those, like you said, like you, like when you're getting off the train, the lady was giddy and it's like this, something's about to happen. I don't know if it's (laughs) going to be good or bad. And I, I I love that it was good and it worked out well. And not only that, but you were able to bookend it, um, bookend the trip with being able to see them again, spend the day with your sister. I think that's amazing because I feel like that's something that doesn't necessarily get to happen very often either because on these trips, I feel like there's so much built in. There's not enough time to really be able to do something like that. Um, So before we dive into all of that extra stuff that gets built in, what have you are are you do you you still keep up on cacao talk? Are you still chatting regularly? What is that relationship like now? Has that evolved at all in the short time since you've been back? Yeah, it's 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 really fun because. I was messaging him. I had given him my number to, so he could find me on Kakao Talk. And, and then he ended up just calling me, which was great. But in the meantime, I, I was sending him pictures. You know, I, I had so many wonderful opportunities. I mean, the mayor gig, it, it's less than 5,000 people in my town. And, I, and to be clear, I have zero authority or power. <laughs> <laughs> it is title. It, it is title only. <laughs> yes, it is it's very ceremonial. And I haven't even had an opportunity to cut any ribbons in my town yet, which you that is true. <laughs> we got to make that happen. Roy, my John Chi episode. But <laughs> um, what it does do, um, and it's interesting, even, you know, on social media, too, I, I'll use my Mayor Jenna PA handle because I know people are going to see it and are more likely to respond to me because they don't know that I don't have authority or power. <laughs> Sure, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it is a neat thing. I don't mean to diminish it. Um, and we should do a whole nother episode on you getting into local politics, which hopefully someday you will. <laughs> we'll we'll have put to a pin in that. that. But, <laughs> um, so 
so I've had all these great opportunities. So with the Korean American Association of Great Greater Philadelphia, I was able to be in, in a fashion show uh, for their 50th anniversary of the Korean consulate and, and their organization, which was supposed to happen in 2020. And if it had happened in 2020, I wouldn't have been able to be a part of it. I was not yet on this journey. And so it just happened to get postponed a couple, you know, so all these cool things happened. And so uh, I was able to send him pictures of things like that and pictures of my kids. Like, here's me in a hanbok, here are my kids. And I could see he was seeing the messages, but he was not replying. I thought, well, I don't, I don't really know. And when we had that first meeting, that was one of my questions I had. Are you getting my messages? Are you getting them? And he had, I don't mean to say it in any other way, but like a typical dad response. He was like, I don't understand the technology. You know, he pulled up his, his smartphone and he was like, look, look, I'm, I get the messages. And he was showing me all the messages and it was really cute. Cause I was like, Oh, there it is. Like there's all he the pictures I've been sending them. you. Confirmation. <laughs> He's getting them. And now since then he has learned how to, He's learned how to write back. Um, and so I would to answer your question between his younger sister who helped take care of me when I was a baby. And she's actually 10 years older than me. Um, so she, she's more like a big sister herself. Um, and she never had any kids. And so she and my sister are really special to her and my uncle. So she, my aunt, my, uh, my emo, my sister and my appa, between the three of them, I hear from at least one of them probably every day on Kakao Talk. Um, That's amazing. And it's, it might not be anything more than just like my appa will say, good morning, have a wonderful day, eldest daughter, I love you. You know, I send pictures of my children. Uh, and, you know, I mean, <laughs> pretty cool. what more could you ask for, honestly? Yeah, honestly, yeah. like just that message, I think, is I don't know what else you could you could honestly want. I don't know. That just really warmed my heart to, to hear you say that. <laughs> well, it's, the best way I can describe it. The next day, you know, you sort of, after I met them, you sort of have to pinch yourself, you know, and I even said to, for lack of a better term, my mentor on the trip, he hates when I call him that, but my mentor on the trip, uh, shout out Steven, he, I, I said to him, you know, and I asked a couple people, because I have a couple friends that live in my community that are, that are also adopted domestically, but they have also met birth family. And I always would ask, there is a moment before you met your birth family, and then there's the moment after. and so what is it like after? <laughs> and I think they're just having the same reaction that I am currently having, which is, well, just is what it is. You've met them. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know what people expect. I don't know what I expected them to say when I had that question. But I will tell you that the next day, I it's sort of the best way I can equate it is when you're first falling in love and you're at work and you're sort of forgetting because you're, you're working and then you remember again. <gasps> oh, that's right. I know this person now. And you get that kind of that little heart flutter tingle, especially since the next day after I met them, my appa sent me a message. And, and we had the nice, for three weeks, we were in the same time zone, which was, which was great. So I was able to wake up and he would have already, he's a farmer. So he's up real early and he would send me a message, you know, good morning, eldest daughter. I love you. Have a good breakfast. And it just was it just felt like having, you know, a new, wonderful love in your life. Um, so it, it, it is, it was really warm. And, and again, this is all lovely. And I know that my story is so, so rare 
no one is more surprised than me that it turned out this way, you know, because again, I wasn't even necessarily, if you had asked me back in, you know, December of that year, I would never have said I was on a birth search. That was not what was happening. It was just, let me just type a personality, get all my records together to put in a binder. Cause why not? <laughs> and I just, you know, hearing that some folks, have, it takes years and they're persistent or they find something and there's just more questions or they find some, which happened to a few members of my tour that I was on. They meet family, but can't have a relationship because of the continuous conservative culture that they have where, where it's, it family isn't supportive that you had a baby out of wedlock or you can't tell your current husband. Um, there's, there's so much to unpack there. Um, so I, I just, for everyone listening, I want to be really mindful that I am mindful of other folks who have a different experience. And so I guess I just wanted to say that because I, I do have to, I, I just can't believe that this happened to me. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you saying that um, because it is true. Like there are so many varied experiences, so many different things that could happen, so many different ways that those interactions and those reunions can go and, or they cannot go at all. Like you said, you know, you can search, I know people who have searched for a long, long time uh, mm -hmm. and who haven't found anything. And I feel like that can almost be sometimes more difficult than getting an answer is knowing that you may never get an answer. And I think for me, that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to searching. So similarly to you, I grew up like I don't even think my birth family was on my periphery. They were so far pushed back in the recesses of my mind that I just moved through life. That that was not a concern of mine. Um, and then as I started on this journey, these things start to creep in. You start to think about the loss, you know, your first family and what that means. And that with that always comes this thought of, oh, are you going to do a birth search? Like we talk about questions that we don't like getting asked from outside the community. I think inside the community, that might be one that I'm also like hesitant on. I'm like, just because I don't know. It's not that I'm offended by the question, but it's more like I feel like ever since going on this journey, everything triggers me, <laughs> even in the sure. most well-intentioned things. Sure. And so I'm just like, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know how to answer it. And for right now, you know, I've talked about it on the John Chi show, but pretty content with the fact that I may never have an answer. And I think that's mm -hmm. okay. I don't think it's right by any means. I think we all deserve answers, but I do think it's okay. And I do think it's a privilege that I have to be able to find myself at that spot. Doesn't mean it won't change in the future. Doesn't mean I don't want to know. Um, but just that life happens and you mm -hmm. sometimes you don't necessarily have all the opportunities to do certain things. And so for me, my trip to Korea is kind of void or sans that searching aspect. But I really like the way that your trip was kind of framed by that. I think uh, Michelle Lee's home or home tour was similarly framed uh, around kind of a searching situation. And I feel like, I feel like that gives you kind of the bookends. Like you said, you had those bookends, but it gives you kind of the start and stop point of what this trip is going to be. And like we talked about before, there's so many things that happened in between. So 
I was wondering, you've talked a little bit about the things you were able to do briefly here and also on the other, uh, on the other show. I was wondering because you were able to go through a reunion and have this lovely experience and you weren't expecting that. I was wondering what other things happened on the trip that you may have not expected to happen or that you expected to happen and didn't. And that also surprised you if anything like that happened. I think that's a great question and I want to answer it. I want to rewind just 30 seconds though and say that the best way that I could describe it to folks, what you were saying is, and this really did hit home with folks that are, that are not adopted. Um, you know, because there is that persistent question and you, and everybody has a book, you know, an elevator pitch to respond. You know, mine was always, well, it's a different country and they don't speak the language and my file said unknown. And hey, even if I did find them, what would we talk? Wait, again, we don't speak the language and they probably have forgotten about me. They've moved on. And who am I to say, you know, so that was my elevators. And I and I would point out to friends, even recently, asking that question is the equivalent of me saying to you, oh, you don't want to go find and research the hospital you were born in and meet all the nurses and doctors. Like, what do you mean? They were there when you were born. Like, what do you mean you don't, you know, just something that is so, that's their reality. And so it's very commonplace to them. And just pointing out my reality is that, you know, for a long time, I said, I was born on the plane. I came over. That's when my life began. And that's just how I was viewing it. And that's okay. Um, and so I think for folks where they just have a different story and a different narrative, you know, that they're so curious because it is so different, you know, and it doesn't even have to be about adoption or anything that like, wow, you studied abroad in Europe when you were in college. I didn't get to do that. Like, tell me about it. So people are just fascinated. And unfortunately for us, the question that people think is really kind of innocent and well, I'm just curious that triggers a lot for folks who are in the situation of having to be asked. And we might not even realize that it's deeply rooted in something until we come out of that fog. But- oh, 100%. 100% agree. I, yeah, and I definitely was. I didn't mean to come across as... No, 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 um, no. That I just wanted to like, validate. I realized, oh, thank you. I yeah, <laughs> what, what you were saying. And try to explain to your listener, yeah. you know, because I have a lot of friends, you know, I have a lot of friends who might listen and... Um, and other, you know, allies of adoptees who might listen to this episode and just say, well, yeah, what, well, isn't that such a normal question? Why wouldn't you want to be asked? I don't you want to go find your family. And I, so I think that was my best way of trying to explain it to my friends. So I just wanted to throw, throw that out there. I don't know. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you for that clarification. It definitely was necessary. Yeah. Anyway, so it's a complicated <laughs> thing to unpack. It's very you asked a question. You asked a question. So let me. No, yes, go for it. No, I I appreciate you caveating that because I do think it's necessary to dive into a little bit of an explanation why, because I think it is easy for me to throw it out there and then to move past it because I'm talking about my own experience and just trying to relay that. So I appreciate you sharing that because I kind of wasn't thinking that it's almost like a seeing red situation of this triggers me and this is why why I'm triggered, but not why it's triggering to me specifically or why it could mm-hmm. be triggering to someone from our community. So thank you. No, thank you. That's what, <laughs> that, uh, these conversations are, we're, who was having these conversations in a way that people could listen to them, you know, 
up until 100%. recently. So anyway, in terms of expectations and things, um, I didn't, ex- there's a few all breeze past. I didn't f- expect to feel as comfortable as I did, but I know it wouldn't have happened that way had I gone like a year prior. I was trying to do a lot of work of why I was feeling imposter syndrome my whole life and being around other Asians. And it was really pretty neat to finally feel like I could just sit on a train. And as long as I didn't open my mouth, maybe people would think that I fit in. So I I didn't spend any part of my life thinking that I didn't fit in. Um, And so to go somewhere else and be in that space was pretty cool. So that was something I wasn't expecting. I didn't expect, I talked about it more in the Jiangxi show, that I would weep openly every time a Korean said to the group, welcome to being in Korea. Welcome to being Korean. We're so glad you're back. We we hope you enjoy your culture and let's teach you something about it. Um, and that was something that I, I just really hope that you feel when you are over there because, uh, and I imagine you will. I mean, this is a program specifically set up um, to be welcoming, I believe. So I think sure. that they're really going to so. roll out the red carpet for you. And I, And that's something that you can read about but once you are there and surrounded by folks who are just really welcoming you, I mean, this is a big, this was like an aha moment that seems super obvious and your listeners are going to go, yeah, duh, Jenna. But it took me being over there to really kind of get it. You know, 200,000 plus babies sent away from this tiny, tiny country, this very homogenous, tiny country that shares pretty much one culture. I and mean, if you're adopted out from the United States, I don't know if that ever happens, but let's say what you could come home to the United States and find out that your family was Italian, German, Polish, but we're all coming back to this one singular culture that is shared. And every time somebody would say, you know, if you were in Korea, here's what it could have been like. We had a lady open her home to us and say, this is what your mother's house might've looked look like, you know, or here's an official stamp that I made from stone for you with your Korean name so that you can have it. If you were in Korea, that's what you would have. All of these um, big and small gestures that I didn't know ever that I would have wanted in my life until I was there. And not everybody had that experience on the trip. I mean, some people didn't, it didn't resonate with them. So I don't mean to say that, but for me, it just, I wasn't expecting that. So that was crazy. Um, But the biggest things that I think I didn't expect were in meeting my family. When you are told your whole life, your family was very, probably very poor. They wanted a better life for you. They wanted you to be loved and taken care of because they themselves could not give you that life. Now, to be fair, my appa in his 20s was like, he was like all of us in our 20s, you know, starting out, you know, he's very successful now. I found out that he was a farmer and just assumed, oh, he must have grown up on a farm. Therefore, I would have grown up on a farm. And my idea of being in the great outdoors and like camping is staying at a Marriott. So I was thinking to myself, oh, well, things worked out great. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm not sure. growing up on a farm, all the things, right? Come to find out later, you know, when he, when I was born, he was working as a laborer in Mokpo in the city. He and his family were raised in the city of Mokpo, which I also assumed must be this tiny, quaint fishing village on the, you know, <laughs> with Puna. You know, maybe, and I even said at one point, like, 
maybe he doesn't have internet or a smartphone. You know, maybe he's handwriting letters to, and mailing them up to Holt so that they can scan them. Because we are told our whole lives, this is the narrative, you know? Right, exactly. So when I get there and my sister's driving around in a Beamer and my appa didn't grow up on the farm, he bought the farm 20 years ago. And I had to say to him, I don't know if the translation got through, but I was like, appa, in America, that's very rare. People are not like, I'm going to buy a farm. This farming is so easy. You know, <laughs> he just sent exactly. me a picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So like, that's why I thought you grew up on a farm. He was probably so confused. Like, why does she keep asking me about growing up on the farm? Anyway, it's just so funny. Um, And my aunt and uncle are in like real estate, you know, commercial real estate. And everyone is doing very well, Patrick. (laughs) You know, they have all worked really hard. So they have wonderful lives. And so one of the really trippy things is to think about my life, which I love. I have a wonderful husband who I failed to mention on the John Chi episode that he has been so excellent as a partner and all of this. I just like, just as an aside, his wife and the mother of his three, two small children took off for three weeks alone (laughs) to Korea. And he, you know, had to hold down the fort, take off of work. And since I've been back, he's like, he's the one learning Korean on the Korean apps. He's the one cooking Korean food. And, you know, he's been so supportive through this. I have a wonderful life, Patrick. And so then to be in Korea and think, what would my life have been like? You know, if he came back for me a few days after he relinquished me to see how I was and I was already gone. That's a detail that could have made my life very different. And look, it's not the way I was told and uh, to know right. my parents i mean they were just telling me what probably they were told them yeah right. exactly there, there's no malicious intent there it's just the narrative that we are told growing up and to find out oh you know and not to say they didn't go through hard times and my sister went through hard you know everything is peachy now so it could have been very different who knows but then you start going down the rabbit hole of nature versus nurture and you know what what things are me and what things were because I was raised this way. It it's a whole rabbit hole, and you just kind of have to let some of that go and just ride it out. <laughs> well, that was actually going to be my next question. Was you had talked about going on the tour and them doing a lot of what if scenarios, like this is what this is what your life would have could have been like if you had stayed in in this situation or this situation. And I was wondering, once you were able to reunite and have some conversations. Did you have like that? What if moment? And it sounds like you did kind of, and, but didn't travel too deeply down that rabbit hole. Is that right? But I guess from, from, I guess my other question would be, did you play any of those or have any of those conversations, those what if conversations with your dad or with your sister? um, Or was this Mm. something that you kind of just did kept to yourself internal thought processes? Yeah. So my uppa and I didn't have that conversation. Um, And it's mostly, it turns out he's a real quiet guy. Um, He, my aunt and my sister are a little bit more chatty. Plus my sister is, she is picking up English real well, real, and even in the three weeks I was there, I think her English comprehension just escalated. You know, she's just really, I mean, it helps. She listens to, you know, American music, things like that. She's like, 
I love the weekend. Do you love the weekend? Like, well, I've got two toddlers and I haven't listened to current music in, you know, six or seven years. So I don't know. Yes, the weekend. <laughs> no, so she's watching American TV shows. She has a little bit of an advantage. <laughs> but still, English is real hard to learn, I suppose, when you're when you, it's not your native language. Um, so she and I had a conversation where we didn't go too deep. And I don't know if that's my sister or if that's a Korean culture thing. I sense it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, she had a pretty challenging childhood. I mean, her mom and my, our appa are no longer together. And I think, you know, that caused some strife for her when she was a child. Um, I think she's estranged from her birth mother. And I did sort of say to her, we had this, we're in a cafe you will go to six cafes a day, Patrick, in Korea. I like coffee. Yeah. So. <laughs> no cream and sugar. Yeah. You either drink it no black cream and or sugar. get a latte. So I was drinking Love lots it. of ice mochas. <laughs> and we're sitting there and we kind of had that conversation. And, I, you know, and I did say to her, this is probably about as deep as we could get with the language barrier. I said, you know, so both of us don't speak to our birth mothers. Both of us don't have a relationship with our birth mothers. Um, which was a pretty profound thing. And I want to get to a place and I might try to write a letter and have one of my friends translate it for her because I want really desperately to say to her, you know, I appreciate her so much. She was the number one thing that I was nervous about when I found out I had this half sister because I'm thinking, okay, she's 30, 31 ish. She has known about me for a little about little while. Um, they, I think they told her right after high school. And here, here I am, this older sister that went to America. First of all, who knows what crazy stereotypes she's thinking about? Oh, this is an American girl, right? And here she comes out of the blue to descend upon the family. And they were also lovely to me. And I'm thinking if I were her, I might think, well, <laughs> I've been here this whole time. Where's my red carpet, right? right. <laughs> I think it would have been really easy for her to be suspicious of me, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a naturally cynical person. So I'm not sure where, where some of these fears were coming from, but the, it was nothing like any of my fears. She has been from day one, so excited. And she said, I, she said, I felt very lonely growing up and having a sister has been really awesome. And, you know, I feel very similarly. I had an older brother, but I always, it sounds convenient to say, but always wished I had a sister, you know, easy to say now, but we've just had, uh, as siblings do, and I've heard a couple other adoptees who have had reunions say that, like the siblings and the cousins who are more your age. I mean, that's, that's the real exciting part, right? Because you can just have a little bit more familiarity that way. I can't right. even remember what your original question was, Patrick. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think that answers it. I, I think you answered it. And I think that, yeah, especially from a sibling cousin perspective, I totally get that because it allows for an easier way into the culture a little bit than from a parent's perspective, only because I think parents, obviously, they carry the additional weight of like the relinquishment, I think, whereas yeah. siblings or cousins, it's. Like they're just, they're part of the story. They are not the initiators or the instigators of the story. So I think that makes a total sense. And it makes me think about Dan Matthews documentary, actually, uh, when he meets his brother uh, and kind of the adventure that they go on through the city. Um, yeah, I think that's really, I think it's really fascinating, but I think it's really obviously very powerful, like um, to be able to have that connection because who knows how the interactions could have went 
were she not there or had she had taken a different attitude towards wanting to meet with you. So I think that's really amazing. And like you said, you know, incredible on her part, just to be willing to engage and then obviously running up, giving you that blindside bear hug. So, Mm -hmm. you know, putting those fears to rest pretty quickly, I think is, is pretty incredible. Um, we were, so I know we were talking about like adoption being the framework or the reunion being the framework for the return trip. And then we were going to talk a little bit more about like the actual stuff that you did on the trip, but then we, it's taken a different turn a little bit. So I wanted to ask you still kind of on this, on this line of you going through all of these things, especially from a reunion standpoint, then going through all of these things from the tour standpoint of, of connecting with the culture, learning and, and engaging and doing different things from there. You don't have, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of time to kind of sit and rest. I know you said mm. whenever you got greeted by anyone, um, it would make you weep uh, openly. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, was there time to process any of those feelings and emotions that you were having on the trip? Or did you have to save a lot of that compartmentalize a lot of that for when you came home to be able to, kind of decompress and process that way? I think it was both. And um, mm, okay. I'm so thankful the way this all turned out because we were so nervous about COVID and I'm kind of a cheapskate. I was, I was going <laughs> to room with someone because sure. it wouldn't be any extra money to room with someone. Right. And then because of COVID, we all, a lot of us opted to get single rooms. I am so grateful that I did that because for as extroverted as I am, I really did need that time to just come back to the hotel at the end of the day and just journal and process or just, you know, think out loud with my thoughts to friends over like video chat. So that was really, um, it was good. I felt there was, this is the 10th time they did this particular tour. So I think they really have a handle on what's what can we put into one day to lighten the mood a little bit what can we do you know we did the agency visit one day it was super positive for some of us it was really heartbreaking for others depending on where they went and what the story was we the most emotional day was spent with two birth moms who each shared their story about relinquishing their babies so that was probably the biggest moment of all of us, you know, all of us were weeping. I mean, <laughs> you know, but but hearing a perspective and and putting a face and a story behind, you know, two very different experiences of these mothers. One was a little older, and one actually um, was just describing how poor Korea was, which was another thing that you don't really think about because I'm learning about Korea in present day. It's not like I spent 40 years understanding it. I didn't even know Mokpo was the name of the city, right? So you just know, oh, LG and Samsung and K-pop and K-dramas and all the things, but like straight up dirt roads, not that long ago. So one birth mother sharing, she had to go to work. It was either go to work along with her husband or her family would starve. I mean, it was just dire straits which then of course leads to you know the whole adoption industry and lots and lots of stuff we can unpack later but she came home and her five-year-old boy was gone she'll never know if he wandered out into the streets and someone 
quote unquote, found him as a you know lost child and took him to an orphanage, which happened way more often than we would like to feel comfortable with instead of trying to find family. Although there might not have been the the process to find family either at that time. Sure. Right. Um, it's so hard to say. And she went to so many lengths to try to find him. Yeah. So just hearing stories like that, but the group tour did a nice job of, we had two processing sessions as a group, um, which mm. really bonded all of us. It opened a lot of our eyes. Most, you know, I heard so many stories that, you know, just aha moments from really uh, tragic, simple things. Like maybe not everybody had a supportive adoptive family. Um, you know, we had a few European women on the tour um, you know, you're from the Netherlands and you don't see another Asian person your entire life. I mean, at least America is supposed to be a melting pot, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. um, that blew my mind. Like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine going my whole life without ever even meeting another Asian person. You know, so there there was just a lot of sharing in that space. And then, of course, in small groups, we got together informally. So I would say yes. Um, but we each processed in our own way. And I, I've certainly been doing a lot when I've come home too. Well, I like that they had those kind of debriefing sessions together. I think we, there's something similar in the, on the mm-hmm. tour that I'm going on. But I think what I find very fascinating is that I've heard of the, of this particular tour before. It was one that I was actually looking into when I first started doing all of this. Um, but I really like that they were, able to connect you with birth mothers and share that experience because that's not something that I feel like particularly the government would want publicized. And I won't, Mm. I I have certain feelings about certain aspects of the tour that I'm going on, but I think that's a key difference is how the narratives are being shared and what narratives are being shared around this experience specifically because it's being tailored to adoptees. And so I think I really, I appreciate you sharing that because I hadn't thought about that as being potential programming or something that you could do. And I think the fact that me and Korea would go out of their way to build something like that in is really powerful. And it shows that there are organizations working to bring this type of nuance to the narrative because birth mothers in particular are people we're not going to hear from. And, you know, like you talked about the one shared about being literally in the dire straits. When we think about Korea, particularly us or people from our generation of adoptees, it's from post Olympics 88 Mm -hmm. on, which is Mm -hmm. when they were had started to reach the pinnacle of being climbing out of post-war society and poverty. And they there were stories very critical of Korea for sending out so many children to be adopted. Um, but at the end of the day, our co- the country that we found ourselves in America isn't questioning why that's happening or the, you know, mm-hmm. other underlying causes. But again, we can, that's maybe a, a, a conversation for another uh, episode of the show. Um, but I really appreciate you sharing that. And so, that was not those two things did not have to do with reunion. So things that you're able to find yourself doing um, kind of within that framework, but obviously separate from that framework. So I'm wondering what else or what was one thing that you did that you did not expect that you would be doing that maybe didn't necessarily have to do with adoptee specific things, but maybe just culturally. On the trip. On the trip. Oh, yeah. Sorry. On the trip. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
I was pretty sure that's what you meant, but I just want to... <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that... Well, well, there's a... So the leader of the trip, Min Young, she has a fascinating story in and of herself. She is a native Korean. Um, she's just took a particular... She's very casual and modest about it. She just took an interest in helping Korean adoptees in America. She's in California. And I mm. think this might be wrong, but I my impression was the first time she did this, she just took a couple of her friends over to Korea and was like, I'll help you. I'll do what I can. And then it morphed into, you know, an official organization. And one of the things that she wanted to do very specifically was make sure this wasn't just let's eat the food, let's do, do some noribang, let, you know, that's why she wanted to work in, there's a thing called a meaningful place that each of us get to go. And that meaningful place could be the park where your record said that you were left. It could be your orphanage. It could be meeting your family. You know, there's many different things that make up a meaningful place for you. And she, she tailored this for 50 people because there were wow. two tours. I mean, it was all in her brain and all the trains ran on time and we all got she's just incredible. I can't say enough about this woman. She has so many wonderful connections. So one of the things that she really wanted to try to do was make sure that we were getting, you know, we went to the DMZ, but it wasn't just that we went to the DMZ. We got to have dinner at the Unification Village and meet their chief and eat locally produced products and just like sit and be in that space. There was a little town right outside of Paju that uh, welcomed us and they were building a, a recreation center, like a very modern recreation center. And they hurried up to finish building it in time to host us. Right. So, and they had like, you know, 25 people in the town making food, volunteering their time. They invited a bunch of folks, um, to sit with us, like a lot of the older grandmothers and grandfathers, like the assignment was sit with these adoptees who might not get to meet their family and like treat them like your grandchildren. And so this was really a very special time for, you know, some of the people on the tour who didn't get to meet family, right? I mean, and some some of the elders really understood the assignment. I mean, they were holding hands and hugging and showing how to do the arts and crafts that they were making for us. And they showed us how to do traditional children's games and things like that. Um, and on paper, we knew we were going to do this. And on paper, you're kind of like, okay, we're going to go play some games with some elders. But when you're there and people are making food for you and this whole town has come together to make this an experience for you. I was even trying to think like, would people in Royersford do this? If, <laughs> if 25 adoptees, can, would we do this? Would we, I, I like to think that we would, but this was an effort. I mean, knowing what it takes to put together an event like this, <laughs> you know, for, for a bunch of strangers, you know, I, they, we actually, um, if you can picture it, Patrick, we, we got off the tour bus, real nice tour bus. And we got <laughs> off the tour bus and we had just been in the sunflower field. It was just sort of a, let's go to this. We're passing a sunflower field. Let's go get some pictures. Great. Get back on the bus. We get off the bus in this little town and all of these townsfolks were there with little bouquets of flowers that they handed each one of us. And then they clapped for us as we entered the recreation center. And then we had this big, you know, and then they had the big program for us. I mean, there's another place we went and 
there were, you know, local officials and people from the tourism boards and all these folks who were fighting over who could like buy us dinner. And, you know, our the poster for our trip was blown up like life size on the side of a building as we came up like, here you are, welcome. And it was just so again, as KJ would say, it was just so lovely, you know? And again, every time something like this happened, I was weeping. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you know? Um, and so, yeah, something you just cannot, uh, you can't understand until it's there happening to you. I even feel like I'm saying too much. Like if somebody goes on this, I've ruined all of the surprises now. <laughs> Not at all. I think, I think we had talked about it earlier. It's like, you can see something on a piece of paper. You can honestly listen to somebody talk about and describe an experience, but until, or if you get the opportunity to actually go and do those things, it will be different because like you said, you know, everybody's will experience it differently. Um, and I think, I don't think you've ruined it at all. Honestly, you're making me want to go. Cause I'm like, and now I'm like, I don't want to go on this trip. I'm going on. I want to go on this being Korea trip that I should have went on before. <laughs> so if anything, you're making me not want to go on my own trip and go on a different one. <laughs> so you're well, doing do a very good it. job. And I have to say there were people on the, I, I swear I don't work for them, but I know I was about people. to say, I was like, Min Young must be paying you pretty good bucks to promote this trip. <laughs> and there were folks on the tour who this was not their first time back, you know, and they still got a lot out of it, you know? So there were all, all of us were in very different phases of researched a lot before the tour didn't research, you know, wanted to do a birth search, just wanted to go on the trip. You know, we were all in very different phases of where we are. And, um, I, I'm just, I just feel really lucky when I saw that Facebook post that said, click here to fill out the whole paperwork. Um, and just started rolling along saying yes to things that came up. Um, I, I, I think it was just, it was my time. I know I was just mentally prepared and mentally ready for something like this. Um, you know, and not everybody, I, 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 I'm not working a nine to five job traditionally. It's, you know, being with the babies. So I had some time to do that. It's the opportunity and meeting timing, you know, yes, like absolutely. whatever COVID might, if you can call COVID an opportunity, it was <laughs> all of these things, all of these the confluence of, of, of important things happening, uh, whether they be good or bad that allowed you to be not only able to go, but ready to go and experience something like this, I think. Um, and I think it's really lovely. I love it. Um, I have a just a few more questions. Um, yes. I don't want to keep you too long. I realize it is now 10, 15 um, <laughs> on the East Coast. But um, anything that you didn't get to do that you wish you would have been able to do on the tour? Yeah, I. so my family and I, my whole family, my husband and my kids, we're going to go back. Uh, the plan is that we're going to go back for the whole month of July next oh, year. Very yeah. cool. Um, we, we have this really nice opportunity because my husband's in education, you know, so summer's pretty, pretty much downtime. It's not ideal because Korea in July is like walking around a frying pan. I mean, super hot, you know, and the, some of us have tolerated the heat more than others. The neck fans, I can't recommend those enough. I don't work for them either, <laughs> but I'm just saying they, they are lifesavers. Um, yeah, the little neck fans. So we're going to go back. And it's, you know, it's great timing. My kids will be almost four and seven, you know, sort of just old enough that 
if we do this every summer, which is kind of what we're talking about doing, they will always remember this time of we get to go to Korea every summer. They're already talking about it. And I'm trying to point it out on a map. <laughs> I just told my son that there's a individual TV screen on each plane seat and he's game. He's yes. Perfect. Doesn't even care about Korea. <laughs> get me on yeah. that plane. <laughs> exactly. 15 hours of straight TV. Fantastic. So, you know, he's, he's all for it. But anyway, um, to answer your question, I, I certainly didn't get to spend as much time with my family as I wanted. The first reunion, I think they, on purpose, they make a little bit short because if it doesn't go well, you don't want to be there for an hour. You know? So, um, and, you know, I do think there was a little, my upper kept messaging me like, I think he was a little bit like, you're in Korea and we're not hanging out. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and you're like, oh, I, I paid for this tour, you know. Um, <laughs> so I have, um, I have all kinds of hopes, you know, I'm hoping to get over to Busan and see that. I'm hoping that we do it together. I'm hoping that my sister and or my aunt and or my appa, that we all go together. My aunt told me that my appa is already talking about like renting like a, you know, a 10 passenger van so we can all country together um i have to tell you the side story because i think you will love it the other podcast i was listening to there was a guy in my tour who said i found out about this trip through the adapted podcast when i hadn't found your podcast yet and i thought i will listen to this so i it's the first podcast i'm listening to about korea or about korean adoptees or about asians anything I pulled up, I randomly chose an episode. The very first episode was about a guy named Mark. And he, you know, grew up and blah, blah, blah. And he lives in Seoul. It turns out Mark grew up five streets from where I live. In my town of Royersford, Pennsylvania, population 4,700. Wow. And my neighbor across the street went to high school with him. Her husband was in scouts with him. She... <laughs> connected us on social media. I mean, if that isn't a weird, I don't actually believe in signs, but that had to be a sign, right? So we, <laughs> right. we connected. Now we're friends. I went to go visit him. And then he says to me, well, I used to live in Seoul, but actually now I live on Jeju Island. So you'll have to visit me there when you come visit. And I said, oh, darn. Okay. <laughs> so I right, went to go right. visit. I have, who, don't, who wants to go to Jeju Island? I, I I've never even, I've heard of some terrible that? there. <laughs> so I got to fly from Seoul to go visit him for the last leg of my trip. Um, and I met his girlfriend, JY, who is super modest, but she's she's pretty badass for a lot of reasons. She recently was the translator for um, the woman who wrote Crying in H Mart. She oh. came, needed a translator. Nope. JY got to translate for her. She had, she's just done some pretty cool things and works with the Henya. So I got to go meet like Henya. On Jeju Island, it was all the things. It was an amazing experience. So I'm hoping to go back. We'll go back to Jeju, and we can even like we can actually even take a ferry from the southernmost tip of you know the country. We can take a ferry down to the island. Um, so there's lots of stuff to do and see. I can't wait to go back. And I'm going to take like six empty suitcases just to shop. I mean, the quality smart, of clothes smart, and smart. skincare is just, you cannot beat it. I'm never buying anything in America ever again. I'm just going to buy everything in Korea. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Okay. You know, it's just lots of stuff. I want to get my hair cut. This sounds crazy to you, I know, but I want to get my hair cut by a Korean person in Korea. 
I'm going to grow it for the occasion. I like <laughs> you know, it. You get doesn't your sound too crazy because I do get my haircut by a Korean woman, but it's here in Indiana. So a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit different. <laughs> <laughs> so there's sort of like superficial things I want to do, uh, but, you know, but then more grand, grandiose things. I've got cousins to meet. I have seven cousins on my upper side because he's one of five kids. And mm. I had a couple cousins actually find me on Instagram. I met one on, at the airport on my way home, which was a surprise. He came with his dad. So I met an uncle. And and so there's lots left of family right. to meet. Reunions left and right. Amazing. Yeah. So there's lots to do. I know a month sounds like a long time, but I've already filled it in my head. I've Well, we're going to do this and that. <laughs> so. You have the entire month planned out. Maybe to the minute. I'm not sure. but Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly. amazing. So lots of things, lots of lots things, of things still to do. But you have you sounds like you're going to have the time and it sounds like you'll perpetually have a lot of time uh, each year so. to be able to go do new and different things. I love that. Um, I realized that we're going on that. I will be going on a different tour. But what would you recommend things that you would recommend I don't miss out on while I'm there, especially being there for the first time? Anything culture-wise, anything in Seoul in particular, or any other places that you would be like, you have to do these things? Well, you can't, you can't go very far without stumbling over, you know, a Buddhist temple or an old palace. I mean, I'm for sure you're going to do those things. I hope you get enough time. You know, we, um, I, I want to go back because some of the palaces we went to are so far-reaching. I mean, you're like, wow, look at this cool gate. But if you keep walking... There's just, it just keeps going and just depending on where you are and just really having time to explore. And then people are walking around in the traditional hanbox, you know, and that's kind of crazy, you know, wherever you go at night or during the day. So you just feel like you're like, where am I? Am I in a K-drama? What's happening? You know, um, excellent walking shoes, of course. I mean, some of the things that you're going to be doing, you just will be walking up hills. Perfect. <laughs> Unexpectedly. I mean, you see the tower, the Seoul Tower, and you're like, oh, it's right there. We were literally standing at a bus stop. And my sister took me and some friends. And so that's the thing to do. We got to go to the Seoul Tower. You know, it was in all the all the boys I met before, you know, all the boys I love before. We got to go. We went up there and like, there it is. And it took, it took like so long to get there. I can't even tell you with like a bus and then it, another thing. And then you had to walk up this hill. By the time we got there, we're like, I can't believe how far away this was. <laughs> it looked so but you have to go. I mean, it's one of the things to do, right? Um, but you know, honestly, just going into there's Seven Elevens everywhere, there's Starbucks everywhere, which sounds weird, but it's just something to experience. You're sure, for sure going to get a T money card, and you're going to go on the public transportation, and you're going to sit there, and it's going to be so quiet and so clean, and everyone is wearing black, beige, and white. Everybody, and. <laughs> everybody and you know there's not gonna be any kids around and you're just gonna sit there like am i in what society am, am i in <laughs> it's, so, it's so wild you know right have i yeah. slipped into another universe essentially it really does feel that way it really does so i'm just so excited for you patrick i'm so like seriously i'm so excited for you to go out and at one point at the very end of the tour because min young's family she's two beautiful daughters and um they're college age now and you know they, they they're bilingual and they know the city so there we are like a bunch of folks in our 40s and 50s 
following these young college kids around, we are all having had the soju and the fried chicken and they're being super responsible and saying, we're going to show you where all the things are. At one point I was like, all right, it's like one in the morning and we are being the irresponsible ones, you know, but what's, what's happening here? But it is, it's so safe. I mean, we were all smart. We all stayed in pairs and all the things you're supposed to do smartly when you travel, but it, it is like being, it is just, people are just trustworthy and they will help you and you can ask them for directions and everyone is, and they probably speak English. Um, uh, iced mocha is ice mocha. That's how they say it in Korea. So just say ice mocha. Oh, I don't know what perfect. you're talking about. <laughs> that's my wife's favorite Starbucks drink. So that's perfect. She, she won't eat. That's all, she doesn't even have to learn it in Korean. <laughs> They'll just know, you know, excellent. But, excellent. That is good You're just going to have it. I can't wait to hear the episode where you talk about your experience there. I think we might actually record one in <gasps> Korea. Um, I don't know. I think I might, I might be myself and a few other people who are going on the trip. I think we might do a one-off, but we'll see. I might have to go on here. I might save the John Chi stuff for something for, for some other time. I don't awesome. know. I'm having thoughts now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, perfect. So the shoes, the tower... <laughs> <laughs> things to do essentially just essentially i like i like that it was just be essentially just be there is what you kind of gave me is like what what i have to do is allow myself to exist in this space where honestly because i don't know if i'm going to be able to go back every year in the way that you're planning to go back right now just based on where we're at in our personal lives at the moment which is fine um but i think that's something that i've been thinking about a lot is like there are so many different things that we're supposed to be doing and going to do. And I think one thing I've really wanted to try and keep control over on my first trip back is the ability to at least for a little while exist solely yeah. as myself in this space. Cause I don't know how often that's going to be able to happen. And I don't want to feel, I know I will feel like this, but I don't want to feel like I'm always the tourist here. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, which I'm, I, I'm assuming that there are adoptees who do feel like that, uh, who always feel like the fish out of water there, um, just as we do feel like that here sometimes. But I'm trying to find my way away from that feeling, at least for a little while. So I like that's what your recommendation was. Just find a way to exist for a little bit. Well, two things that I cannot take credit for. These are things that people on the tour, mentors on the tour, told me. So number one. You said it perfectly. Let Korea happen to you. Somebody told me that before we went, and I just thought, yes, just sit. So you you said that perfectly. And the other thing was, um, and you were alluding to this as well. And honestly, when they said this, I was like, oh yes, that's so true. <laughs> Very obvious. <laughs> this will not be your first and only time there, right? Sure. Sure, You're sure, going to sure. have a relationship with Korea for the rest of your life. And my friend, Melissa, who's the one who told me about the trip, she said in one of our processing sessions, I just saw it in my notes. She said, we will now never, am I going to say this correctly? We will now never not be Korean. You know, like moving forward, this, this is going to sound really strange. Like they, no, no one can take this from us now. Like when you come back from your trip, this won't be the first and only time you go. So you don't have to feel too much pressure, right? Because you'll go back 
and you'll get to do all the things and you'll go back on your own terms. And I think this is a lovely entree into it because again, you won't have to be worried about, oh, where do I, how do I, you know, you can be introduced, you'll write a bunch of notes about next time I'll do this, this and this, and then you'll have, you'll be so much more confident when you go back. Um, I think this is a great way for you to do it. And, you know, I think you're sort of already sensing some of it's going to be manufactured, right? (laughs) Some of it's going to be, they want us to have this experience, of course. But I also think that there's something to be gained and learned from whatever that is too. And I know you're going to, you're going to pull that out. And I cannot wait to hear like, well, they had us do this. And here was the reason. But I know I just like, I'm so excited <laughs> to hear your processing on it. Um, because I know you will and and you'll get so much out of it. And then you in turn will inspire other people to take that step. So I just I just can't thank you enough for all that you're sharing and being willing to share this part of your story and take all of us along for the ride. Because it has been I, I said it before, I will say it again the three of you don't even understand how validating and meaningful it was for me to have this space to go to, to listen and all of your guests. I was writing furiously. I would even write after a lot of your guests, I'd write down and say, okay, this person said this. And that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) You know, just learning from each other because, um, you know, people have already learned the lessons. So why not learn them, you know, from them and then translate it into your own life. And that's what you do all the time. And so I, on behalf of all of us, all 200,000 of us. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> I like that bold. I like that bold. Thanks. I appreciate, I, I appreciate that. Um, you could very well be a hype person in your next career. Uh, whether you just, I think you'd be a great MC of any event. And I think you would do an, an amazing job because you've done such an incredible job of hyping us up. An uh, unnecessary job of doing it, but a very humbling and honoring uh, one at that. So I really appreciate you saying that. Kamsamnida, back to you, especially for giving me this time. Um, I know we just spent another hour and change on another podcast. Uh, and I said, if you've listened to that episode, which is episode 98, that I wanted to have you back because I did feel like we... Everything that we talked about here was everything that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and we just didn't have enough time. So I really appreciate you making that time for me tonight. Um, before we go, is there... For someone who's kind of like me, and I think you've already given a lot of good advice, I would say, but at least a lot of good perspective on what it means to kind of go back specifically from the framework of of having a reunion in mind and then going through and experiencing that, but also being able to go through and experience some other things outside of just the reunion aspect. And even just outside of the adoptee experience, what advice would you give someone who is maybe on the fence about going back on a birth search or maybe not even a birth search, but just returning to their country of origin for the first time? Someone who's on the fence about it, did you say? Sure. On the fence or, or thinking about it right in those mm-hmm. in those initial stages, I guess, in the, in the thought process. This is going to sound like a cop out answer, but I, I do <laughs> think it really depends on the person. You know, one one gal was sharing because um, I was sort of saying, oh, and I did all these things in preparation, you know, took the fire hose of information. And she said, you know, I I didn't do any of that. I just like filled it out and came. And I did say, well, there was something about you that felt ready to do that, you know, and I don't mean to say even if it was just that, because that was a big step. I don't mean to downplay it by using that language. But 
there was there's a part of somebody who who sort of knows. And I think that if you're on the fence and you're not ready, that's okay. Wait until you are. Korea is not going anywhere. And if anything, the amount of resources and things that are out there to listen to and just be thoughtful about whether whatever your medium is, is is going to be available to you. And even hopefully even more so as the years go by. Um, one of the things that a non-adopted friend said to me, again, I've had so many, oh yeah, moments, right? Um, which is why I love talking to people and listening to stories because somebody inevitably has a perspective that I just go, oh yeah, okay, let me write that down. So my friend Amy said, hopefully she's listening. Um, she said, you know, Jenna, if your birth mother at the time, because we always think about the birth mother, if your birth mother is even a quarter like you, she's wondering about you and thinking about you. And I was like, yes, of course she is. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it, but right. you're probably right. Right. Um, and I think that that was that truly was the catalyst for me to really dig in. Like, I'm not just going to I'm just going to not going to tiptoe around this anymore. I'm really going to dive in. Um, I know you didn't ask about what if you're on the fence about a birth search, but, um, that was something that I learned from the birth mothers. I learned from my own family. And again, I, I, again, I preface this by saying, I know this is not everybody's experience. There's some real heartbreak out there and you just never know what you're getting yourself into. Um, so of course I will preface it that way, but the fact that I spent so many years thinking because part of my elevator speech, like I said before, was, oh, they're probably not thinking about me. Well, if you have had a baby, <laughs> of course you are. I don't know. I even had babies. And I was still like, oh, they're probably not thinking about me. They, you know, they are. You know, whether they, whatever their reasons were, whatever happened, they are, they are thinking about you. Um and it's just interesting. I know it's a defense mechanism that we all have. You know, I know it's something that we're, and I'm not saying that everyone should go on the journey because I know it's not for everyone. And that is perfectly fine and perfectly wonderful. And everybody is is having their own story. And I think that's great. Like my message was on the John Chi show. I just wanted folks to know that if the only thing stopping you is because your paperwork says unknown, I just want folks to know that that just might not be true. The end. That's it. Take take that for however you will, right? Um, but yeah, if you're not ready to do either of those things, go to Korea, go to the home country, or go on a birth search. Then that's okay. Wait until you are. And you'll know that fog thing so real. You will know when you are no longer in the fog. <laughs> if you're questioning, if you're like, am I out of the fog? You're not out of the fog. <laughs> you're not out yet. You might be edging the edging the the barrier line. But you're yeah, not exactly. you're not quite out. And that's okay. Uh, just yeah, that's okay. Just <laughs> another couple steps, maybe. Um, but yes, that's okay. I love that message. Um yeah, because I think at the end of the day, that's what is the most important. I think it's the most important takeaway from any of our stories is that this is my experience, and I hope you get something out of it. But if you're not at this point, that's perfectly fine. Yes. I perfect. hope you can find your way to whatever point you need to get to that could maybe help this resonate a little more, but mm -hmm. however you get there, whatever route you take, whatever it is that you choose to do, that's what you need to do at that time. And so I love mm -hmm. that message. That's something that I've been trying to lean into for myself, uh, especially with going on this trip. So I really appreciate you reiterating that Jenna, 
it has been an absolute honor to have another in-depth, incredible, insightful, and fun conversation with you. For any listeners who may not know, where can they find you to follow along with your journey? You can find me on Facebook and the Instagram and Twitter, but I'm not a big tweeter, um, at Mayor Jenna PA. And even if you are not in the Philadelphia area or New Jersey, you can still... I, you can still reach out to me. I, I love, I love talking to people. I love having conversation. Um, would love to answer any questions um, about Korea, whatever. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. I'd love to talk to you. Reach out to me. And um, I also have a website that I do a little bit of writing on. It's shout out RoyersFordRecreation.com royersfordrecreation.com but you can also click on the mayor jenna link and there's all kinds of stuff on there there's food that i eat (laughs) there's resources in the area if you happen to be in the greater philadelphia area i do a lot of mental health outreach and advocacy work as well um but i also have um, some videos and things and writing about my my journey if anyone's interested so please reach out to me is what i is my point I love that. I will definitely link all all of these things in the show notes, I believe. There will be some sort of notes that accompany this episode. I don't know exactly where that's going to live yet, but I will definitely put all of that information there. Um, And please, if you're looking to have a conversation, if you have questions, reach out to Jenna. She's been an amazing, incredible ally to not only myself, but to each one of us on The John She Show and to a lot of people within our community. And I think what is been what's tickled me the most is how many just random people that i come across that i've been coming across now who know you in some (laughs) form or fashion whether it be from in-person or virtual situations (laughs) i think that that has tickled me to no end because it is spot on uh you jenna antonowitz that is who you are as i know you to be a connector a people person a community facilitator um, and somebody who brings people together and puts smiles on their faces. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. You dish out compliments. I'm going to dish them right back. So, <laughs> again, Jenna, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story. Um, to everybody out there listening, I really appreciate it. This is going to be a monthly podcast. Uh, if you are hearing this, that means you have subscribed to the newsletter. So, thank you very much. Um, I will be back next month with a lot more topics about adoption. I won't drop who the guest is yet. Uh, Make sure you check this out in two weeks because I will be putting out half episodes that are a little bit shorter and just talking about kind of what's going on, what's coming up. And this one will be post Korea as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But until then, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace with me. I hope you all are well, and now I'm doing a Jerry Wan, so we're just going to sign off and say goodbye and good night, and we will see you next month. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you.